Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. How's everybody doing? Good? Well, we made it to Joel, and today we're still in the introduction to the book of Joel. So we are going to start going through the minor prophets. We already went through Hosea. Who remembers what the theme of Hosea was? What's that? Yeah, God's, God's unchanging love, that he loves us so much even when we fail him, like Hosea's wife was a prostitute. God forgives us like Hosea had to forgive Hosea's wife. Uh, you may have had a rough week. Anyone have a rough week? Some? None? Okay. <laughs> or a rough day, or some people have had a rough year. But this morning, God really put this on my heart before we get into the message. Uh, God really wants you to run to Him. So I don't know if it's here or someone watching online, but I know somebody needs this. There is a new season of life coming for you. Whatever challenges you face, and, and it's really the Holy Spirit that hit me with this little homily before we get into the message, uh, a season of refreshing is going to come. Whatever battles you've been going through, I really believe that God has something better in store for you. So run to Him. Today is the day for a fresh start and a new beginning. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants to give us. You know, I was talking to an atheist on his deathbed this past week, actually several. And he said, you know, if, if, if you could, Pastor, give me that peace that I longed for in the drugs I took and the alcohol I drank and the affairs I had and the things I did in life to try to find peace that was fleeting and now he's on his deathbed I never found it and I said the only way you're going to find true peace is in the Lord Jesus Christ somehow the Holy Spirit came on him in that room he gave his heart to Christ I can't tell you I can't even count how many people as a hospice chaplain in the past four or five months have come to the Lord and uh, your prayers and all of that is wonderful. But I know they want peace. And the Holy Spirit's like, man, someone, one of my children out there watching uh, online really is lacking that. And they need it. They've been through a heavy season and a crazy and hectic and sensory overloaded world. They never find peace. They never spend alone time and quiet time with me. They never take pause, take respite. In the Psalms, what is it? Selah. Pause. Be silent and be still before the Lord. We need to find peace. And you've come to the right place for that. John 14, 27, Christ said, Peace I leave with you. Oh, not as the world gives do I give to you. Man, let not your heart be troubled. And neither be afraid. You know, the Lord's here with us. Amen. How do we get it? It's real simple. Run to the Lord. Acts 3.19. Hey, wh whatever direction you were headed, and it might not even be a bad direction. You know, not all sin is bad. Do you know that? He who knows what is right to do and doesn't do it is what? It's sin. So it might be you're doing good things, but 
God wants you to change direction a little bit. This morning, he just wants you, and repent literally means to do a 180 and head in the opposite direction. Leave that behind. You know, old things I, I forgive, leave behind. Behold, new things are coming. And so if you want the times of refreshing from the Lord, maybe there's something you have to do. So I, I don't know who it was for, but now we'll get into the word. I feel like we need to pray again. Let's do that. Father God, I thank you, Lord, again for your word. And I pray, God, that whoever is struggling with just a hard season, Lord, maybe they've been in the battle too long. They're battle-weary this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen them. Lord, that you would give them your peace, that your Holy Spirit would overshadow them and fill them with the good fruit that comes from you. And Lord, that uh, it would just, you would just restore the joy of all of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we learned a couple of things about prophecy. Remember, as uh, the example is in Luke, and Christ grabbed the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. He went in a synagogue. He was ministering, and they gave him the scroll of Isaiah, and he began to read the scroll of Isaiah. He paused half a verse, and he sat down, and he said, Today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. But remember, we read it last week. That scripture literally has three events foretold separated by thousands of years and christ paused on this one and the first one it's isaiah 61 1 through 3 is the favorable year of the lord that's the first coming of christ so he read that part and he stopped mid verse he didn't even finish the verse the next part of the verse talks about the day of the lord or the rapture and the wrath of god and then the next verse talks about the millennial reign of christ or the second coming so in those three verses in Isaiah, we have all the comings of Christ. The first coming, and he came, by the way, as a lamb, right? Be slain, the suffering servant, and a prophet. The, the uh, coming for the church, he's going to come as what? Conquering king, man, the lion of Judah. Here he came as the lamb, and we sang about that. Good. And here he is going to be that conquering king even more. So, well, here he's going to be priest, and here he's going to be king, but we'll talk about that later. So anyway, we are here in this valley right now. So we're right between the first coming and the day of the Lord and the rapture. And Joel, the central theme, is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord begins with the rapture and ends with the final judgment. It's literally a thousand years. But are there signs we should look for? I believe so. Now, many people say no, but what the Bible, what has the Bible told us about things that would happen in the last days? Wars, rumors of wars. You go to Matthew 24. What if everything that is happening in the world today was predicted or foretold in the Bible? The fact of the matter is, it is. Next week, we're going to get into this real deep because we're going to look at all the signs that are happening in the world today that the Bible said this is how it's going to be like in the last days. We can probably think of some. Uh, wars and war rumors of wars. What else? How about Russia, Iran, and Turkey aligning together in an alliance? That was predicted in Ezekiel. Okay. What about uh, Israel coming back to be a nation? Predicted all over the Old Testament. In the last days, I'll draw my people back to the land. So we're going to look at all these signs. But the call of globalization, okay, that was predicted in the Bible. The world is going to try to get rid of borders. It's going to be a global one-world government under who? Yeah, the Antichrist. Uh, the rise of the LGBTQ lifestyle and the abandonment of Judeo-Christian morals. Um, 
men calling good bad and bad good. All of these things and so many more. There's prophetic markers that we're going to really cover. But what in the world's going on? Have you sensed it? Even in our uh, America, I can remember when Republicans and Democrats could sit down and have dinner and, and have a good conversation about politics. Now, man, they're like at odds with each other. It's like the whole world is like becoming angry and bitter. You know, back in the 60s and 50s, everyone had guns, but there were no mass shootings. There weren't. What has changed? People's hearts. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, men's hearts will grow cold. Oh my goodness, men will be lovers of self, brutal, hateful, uh, deceivers, ungrateful, unholy, all these things in Timothy. And we see it happening all around us. Whoa, Lord have mercy. The Bible predicted that the world would be this way. And if we can decipher the prophecies correctly, we will get an exact view of where we're at on the timeline of end time prophecy and all the other things. Uh, these and many more are signs, and they are signs that we should be paying attention to. You know, raptures ahead. What did Christ say? Hey, when you see these things, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. Okay, and those things are signs that we're going to really get into next week, because this week you might be wondering why I have my uh, Masonic prayer shawl and a uh, shofar over here. Who knows what starts tonight at sundown? Oh, the Harley Davidson Cup. That's in memory of Pat. Yeah, Pat was one of our congregants. He passed away and he gave me this cup. So, yeah. And he rode Harleys. All right, so what's tonight at sunset? Rosh Hashanah. It's the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of the Lord. It's the one feast that points to the Day of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And so it's pretty significant, so it's pretty cool that Joel talks about the day of the Lord. Rosh Hashanah starts tonight, and we're going to talk about it. So Joel's central theme is the day of the Lord. And it's a call to get right from God. What's that? Is it also a Rosh Hashanah season about the same time Christ was born? Yes. So uh, when you calculate when Christ actually was born, it actually was September, October, right at Rosh Hashanah. Now here's what's significant. Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the horns, was to prepare for the Day of Atonement. It starts the ten days of awe, and then the Day of Atonement when Messiah would come. And so he was probably born around this time. More than likely, the Second Coming will be around this time. And thus, if the Second Coming is around this time, guess what? The Rapture has to be around this time because the Second Coming happens seven years after the Rapture. Are you with me? So the Bible says, and we're going to cover that, this feast, Rosh Hashanah, of why Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour. Now, what he didn't say is no one will know the season. Are you with me? Okay, so we're going to get into that and talk about that. So uh, Joel is a call to get right with God, to be rescued from the wrath when the day of the Lord starts. Joel chapter 2 says, hey, blow a trumpet, a shofar in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Now, we're going to get into Joel in two weeks, um, line by line, verse by verse. This is all introductory stuff. Joel 2.13 says, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious 
and compassionate. Don't you love in the Old Covenant, God has not changed? Hey, if He was gracious and compassionate to them in the Old Covenant before Christ was sacrificed for all of our sin, how much more so now in the New Covenant? You can't fail God too much. Are you with me? Let, let me restate that. The enemy always comes, you failed him too much. How can God love you? How can you call yourself a child of God? You're too evil. You've done too many things wrong. And Christ says, I paid for all of it. Oh man, he loves you so much. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil, which is an interesting phrase that God actually repents of doing some things in the Old Testament. Even though he purposed to do it, prayer changes things. Remember when Moses prayed, God was going to wipe out the whole nation of Israel? Do you remember that? Moses is coming down with the Ten Commandments. What happened? They, were, they made an image of a golden calf, and they were dancing around it, and they had abandoned God in that short period of time. And Moses threw the things down, and God said, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to make you a nation, you and your descendants. And Moses interceded. And God changed his mind, the Bible said. Interesting. You know, prayer works. Last week we established that the day of the Lord starts with the rapture, and the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now the second coming, will it come like a thief? No, because everyone is going to be gathered at Megiddo to fight Jesus Christ as he returns with us. So the Antichrist, his army, even Satan himself, will be gathered there waiting, knowing the exact day, because it's seven years from when all these Christians disappeared. <laughs> you know, the Christians disappeared seven years later. Uh, that happens. But is it when the Christians disappear seven years from that? Only if the Antichrist makes the treaty for seven years on that day. Are you with me? Okay, so he needs to confirm a covenant with many for seven years. So it's from the covenant, they'll know that very day of the covenant. I'm glad I caught that and corrected myself because I said earlier the rapture to the second coming. No, it's from the covenant to the second coming. Are you with me? Okay, stand corrected myself? Yeah, okay. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The rapture will come like a thief, but not the second coming. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So what's, uh, what are we going to see in the years ahead? The Bible has told us, and next week we're really going to get into it. But Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. So every significant thing that we need to watch for in the last days is in the Bible. We just need to pull it out so we know exactly what's going on. It's all in the Bible, and today we're going to explore the Feast of Trumpets, and the rapture and how they go together. Next week, we'll cover all things happening in the world that the Bible predicted. And believe me, it's significant. There's no way you could not say we're in the last days. You know, it, it is incredible. So trumpets, the day of the Lord, the rapture. Why talk about this? Well, some Christians are saying, well, the Feast of Trumpets are for Jews, not Christians. Do you agree or disagree with that? How about Passover? All the feasts point to Christ. All the feasts are significant. And in fact, the Bible says they are a perpetual festival, a perpetual time for my people to celebrate. In fact, the Bible never says, hey, stop celebrating the feast. 
Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. I just want you to underline that and if you have that. To who? Oh yeah, all men. It's really interesting how some people say, well, no, salvation is only for a few elect. Well, you know the word elect literally means to build out of in the Greek. And it's a, a, a middle tense in the Greek. So guess what middle tense in the Greek? If I elect you and I use middle tense, it means you have part of a work to do in that election. It's not just me electing you from my sovereign will, but you making a decision and you taking part in the election. Isn't that interesting? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness. Do you do that? Think of what's ungodly in your life. Do you deny it? Do you flee temptation? And worldly desires, and that's desires that are contrary to God, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, which is hard to do, looking for the blessed hope, that's the rapture, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the whole idea is, yeah, we are looking for the blessed hope. So the rapture and everything about the rapture, it's something we need to look for. So timeline, first, most biblical scholars agree on this. The 70th week of Daniel is the last seven years, okay? Most people call it what? The tribulation, right? But we know uh, the Bible never labels that seven-year period the tribulation. Uh, there's one part called the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, and that happens after the abomination of desolation, which we'll get into. It starts with the pact. The Antichrist goes uh, to Israel... More than likely, the scenario is this. Uh, the Psalm 83 war will take place. All the nations right around Israel are going to attack them. Israel is going to prevail. That will draw Russia, Gog, Magog, Mesoch, Tubal, Ezekiel 37, Iran, and Turkey, and part of Syria, and Iraq, which have already aligned, like the Bible predicted they would. That will draw them against Israel. We'll on the, be on the brink of World War III. One man's going to rise up, a diplomat, of uh, uh, such caliber we've never seen. He's going to finally bring peace to the Middle East and the, all the tensions. That man is the false Messiah, which we call the Antichrist. He will confirm a treaty in Daniel chapter 7 with many for seven years. That starts the last seven-year period. So we know everyone agrees the period starts with the treaty and it ends with the second coming of Christ, the Battle of Armageddon. In the exact middle is the abomination of desolation. Um, <clears throat> and that's exactly three and a half years into How do we know that? Yeah, it, it says after the abomination, it says uh, Israel is going to look upon him who they pierced and mourn. They're going to realize the Antichrist isn't Messiah. And they are going to run from Satan who now is cast out of heaven, Revelation chapter 12. And they're going to flee to the wilderness where God has a place prepared for them to protect them for three and a half years. The last three and a half years during the wrath of God. Uh, second coming after that is the millennial reign. <clears throat> so all the theories of the rapture are pre, which it could happen right now. Could happen, it could have happened yesterday. Could have happened uh, in George Washington's day. 
Well, yeah, so uh, the San Sanhedrin is, um, is trying to do that. Um, and uh, the Temple Institute has all the articles of the temple to rebuild, which they need to because the Antichrist is going to go back. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty crazy stuff that's happening in the world. Mid-trib happens right before the abomination. The church is going to be taken out. Pre-wrath says right before the wrath we're going to be taken out. And post-trib, at the second coming, Christ comes down, we go up, and we come right back down with him. Um, those are the main views of premillennial scholarship. Premillennial means before the millennial reign, Christ is going to come and rapture the church. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So, uh, what does the Bible say? Here's what we know for sure. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Remember, if you love me, Christ said, you'll keep my commandments obedience to the Lord is important. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So if we can figure out exactly when the wrath starts, we know the rapture has to start before that. Does that make sense? So let's see what the Bible says. Um, when does the wrath of God begin? Romans 2.5 But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. So there's a day that it will start. Are you with me? Okay. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which starts with the seventh seal trumpet judgments. This comes at the end of the sixth seal. Revelation 6.16 tells us exactly. And they, the Antichrist, everyone, at the breaking of the sixth seal, the great tribulation is, is that sixth seal, said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, what did it say in Romans? Rescues us from the day of wrath, or storing up day, for the day of wrath. For the day of their wrath is coming, who is able to stand? We know the sixth seal is broken right after the abomination of desolation, just prior to the seventh seal, which begins the judgment and wrath of God. So, we know exactly when the wrath starts. By the way, at the sixth seal, Christ appears, and it's the same period, uh, waiting for the blessed hope and glorious appearing that we just read in Titus. Same thing. Uh, so that's why there's an appearance there, for the great day of their wrath has come. So on the timeline, that's where the wrath fits in. So we have the seals, which we'll get into later. First seal, Antichrist. Second seal, war. Third seal, famine, earthquakes. Uh, fourth seal, famine, earthquakes, and war. Fifth seal, Christian martyrs. Abomination of desolation, sixth seal, uh, uh, the great tribulation, the sun grows dark, moon doesn't give its light, uh, everyone goes crazy, and then the wrath of God. Okay. So it can't be post-trib because he's going to rescue us from the wrath that is to come. Are you with me? Okay. All right, so that leaves three to consider, pre-mid and pre-wrath. Uh, the first six seals, the first half of the 70 years, are not wrath. Remember, the first seal is the coming of the Antichrist. Second seal is war. Third seal, famine, earthquakes in various places. Uh, fourth seal, all, all the above, all mixed together. Fifth seal, Christian martyrs, abomination. Sixth seal, day of the Lord. Seventh seal, wrath of God. Okay, so that's where we're at right now. All right.
So those that believe the entire seven years wrath obviously have to put the rapture here prior to this. Uh, and that's most of evangelical Christianity today. So Calvary Chapel, uh, Baptist, everyone who believes in the rapture, essentially, almost, puts the rapture somewhere here. Um, and most of them say it could happen anytime. Could it happen tomorrow? It could happen 10 years ago. Could it happen 30 years ago? Could happen today. All right. So essentially, there's no signs. No, the wrath doesn't begin until the breaking of the seventh seal. We just pretty much established that. So we know that we could be raptured anywhere before here. Okay, so the question is, will we see any of these things? Are there signs that will take place before the rapture occurs? Uh, remember the first half of the 70th week of Daniel? The Antichrist reigns. There, it makes a one-world government. Uh, there is war. The last half, after he commits the abomination of desolation, when he claims godhood, uh, the Antichrist runs. And we just read in Revelation 6, the kings, the great men, including the Antichrist, hide in the caves and ask the rocks in the mountains to fall on them and hide. So no one has power during that last half. It's the wrath of God that's poured out. But at the end, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet will gather all the people that haven't taken the mark of the beast, the armies, to Megiddo to fight Jesus Christ when he returns at the second coming. All right. Any questions on that? All righty. So the pre-trib, any moment rapture, folks, they say Christ could come today. Or he could have come in Paul's lifetime. Or he could have come in da Vinci's life, lifetime. Or he could have come in George Washington's lifetime. How do we know that's not true? How come he couldn't have come in Da Vinci's lifetime? Where was the nation of Israel? Uh, there was no nation of Israel. And right after the rapture, the Antichrist has to do a treaty with the nation of Israel. In fact, God says in the last days, I will draw my people back to the land. That didn't happen until 1917 when Britain took over Palestine and enacted the Balfour Declaration. 1917, they called Jews back to the land of Palestine. They came, and it was a God-forsaken country. And next week, I'm going to show you that chit-chat video of how God-forsaken it was. Mark Twain in 1800 said, Man, I visited the Holy Land, and it is God-forsaken. All there are are rocks, and it's barren, it's swamp. It's a barren, God-forsaken land. Jews began to buy the swamp land from Palestinians as Britain called them back. They didn't come back taking land from people. They didn't have a standing army. They had no army. They were just Jews coming back to their land. And Britain said, yeah, buy whatever you can. They were buying land. Some of the land was so horrible, they just gave it to them. Oh, yeah, here, take it. No one wants it. There were nomads. It was a horrible, God-forsaken land. But God said, I'm going to draw my people back to the land of Israel in the last days, and I will make the desert bloom. Did he do that? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that more last week. They weren't a nation who was sovereign and able to make a peace treaty until 1948. And they didn't even control Jerusalem until 1967. So theoretically, why is that important? Jesus could not have come prior to 1967 to rapture the church. Why is that? There was no nation of Israel. Up until 1948, they weren't a sovereign country, so they couldn't do a peace treaty. 
and they didn't even have possession of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple until 1967. And all of, all of those things have to happen in swift, um, um, what am I trying to say? Secession, that, thank you. Because when the Antichrist comes to power and enacts that treaty, he only has seven years. Now, think about, could you gather all the Jews back to the land, uh, have them form a, a nation and build the temple in, in like before the first three and a half when the abomination has to take place? More than likely, they had to be set up, and then the Antichrist comes. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so that's one theory. We're going to go over all the signs uh, next week, and uh, believe me, it's an incredible journey. In fact, one of the best witnessing tools for me is fulfilled prophecy that we can see all around us. From 1917 until now, there are so many prophecies that have been fulfilled. Everyone, Any legitimate thinker, rational person, even if they are skeptics, has to say, whoa, that's got to be more than coincidence. In fact, our faith is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. We need both, fulfilled prophecy and apostolic testimony. So the day of the Lord, uh, Joel is all about the day of the Lord. It's central. Uh, it's the Feast of Trumpets, and that starts tonight at sunset. I can't wait. Joel chapter 1, all these events scholars have tried to fit historically into being fulfilled. We're going to get it in, into it in two weeks, uh, Joel chapter 1, and we'll do our line by line, verse by verse. But uh, when you read it, it's like, okay, when could have these events happened? The fact of the matter is there's no way. They tried historically, well, this happened when this, well, but there's no historical uh, record of that happening. So it must have happened theoretically in these years. Well, I think they're yet to happen, and there are signs of the day of the Lord. Uh, signs that occur before the rapture and the day of the Lord. Oh, but wait, many Christians say there are no signs that will occur before the rapture. And we already talked about that. So where do they get that any moment rapture idea from? They call it what? Imminent. That the, 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 the coming of Christ the, to rapture the church is imminent, meaning it could happen today. Try to think of one verse they would get that from. Yes, yeah. No one knows the day or the hour. Uh, Walverd, who's one of the preeminent uh, pre-trib scholars, admits there are no passages teaching the concept of imminence. However, there are verses that allude to it, and the two verses are this. Jesus is coming soon, and Luke said it, uh, be ready for no one knows the day or the hour. Have you heard that? Okay. And the one, he will come like a thief in the night. Okay, meaning it's going to surprise you. You don't know when that thief's going to come. Okay, um, scripture uh, basis for the rapture, let's just read them. Uh, being imminent is Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Be on the alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. What, what do we know about Matthew 24 and Matthew 25? It's, Matthew 24 starts with, Lord, the disciples came to Christ. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age is the end of the church age. The whole thing are signs that will happen before the coming. And you won't know the day or the hour, but you will recognize all these signs. In fact, every verse that they quote saying this supports imminence that Christ could come at any moment. If you go before it, there's all these signs that have to take place before the event occurs, if that makes sense. 
Um, All right. And they say he'll come like a thief. And since uh, it's like a thief, there's no signs that precede it. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his clothes on. All right. They say it will surprise everyone like a thief in the night. What do we know about the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25? Yeah. Some had extra oil. Right? Five had extra oil. Now, the thing is, a, a lot of pre-trip guys will say, see... They stay at their father's house and they don't know the day or the hour that their husband will come to get them. They just wait for days until the husband's father says, okay, now she's ready, go get her. And then he goes, but they don't know the day or the hour. Okay, true. They don't know the hour, but they do know the day. Turn to Matthew 25 really quick. And if you knew the day but not the hour, it would still somewhat surprise you, wouldn't it? Matthew 25, verse 1. And the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps, oh, and went out to do what? Went out to meet the bridegroom. They knew the day. <laughs> they didn't wait at her father's house not knowing the day or the hour, you know, well, he might, who knows? No, they knew the day, they just did not know the hour. And they went out to meet him, and they took their lamps, and the five uh, uh, smart virgins did what? They took extra oil to be able to endure to the midnight hour. Interesting. The midnight hour is always a reference to the day of the Lord. The sun grows dark, the moon doesn't give its light. So they knew the day, they went out to meet him, and thus even that parable does not support the Christ could come at any minute because no one knows a day or the hour. Well, no, we, we might even know the season or even the day, but not the hour. And I'll give you a verse to establish that. All right. Whew, my eyes are really blurry today. Can you read that? It does look kind of blurry, doesn't it? Or too much yeah, it's too, yeah, too much stuff. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman, speaking of the wrath of God, which, with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, note this, are not in darkness that that day, what day? The day of the Lord. Go back to verse 2. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in their life. But you, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. We're going to know the season. In fact, we might even know the day, just not the hour. We won't know the exact day because no one knows the day or the hour. But we could probably even know within a few days the Lord's coming. It will not overtake you like a thief. I can assure you if Christ came right now, it would have overtaken all of us like a thief. But if there's signs that we can get ready, that we can be ready to go out and meet the Lord, are you with me, like the parable of the ten virgins? Hmm. Then it wouldn't overtake us like a thief. For you are sons of light and sons of day, uh, not sons of darkness uh, or nor night. So then let us not sleep as others, but be alert and be sober. All right. This tells us plainly it will not overtake the remnant bride of Christ 
like a thief. But there is an apostate church that calls themselves Christians but aren't, that it will overtake like a thief. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. It's interesting. Christ said, no one knows the day or the hour, but the Father, not even I. And it says, it'll come like a thief. No one knows the day or the hour. This phrase is repeated over and over. No one knows the day or the hour. However, for the apostate church, they really won't know, and it will come like a thief. We just read for the remnant bride of Christ, true Christians, it won't overtake us like a thief. That's not contradictory. That's people that know the prophetic signs and are watching and waiting and looking and have done their due diligence in the Word of God to study it out completely. Does that make sense? Yeah, we need to be smart about that. Uh, that's why Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things, or literally in the Greek, guard against the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's so funny that many churches won't teach prophecy, and especially the book of Revelation, and yet it's the only book that says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. It seems the enemy would like nothing better then whatever the Bible says, then prevent Christians in the church of doing what it says. So like, oh, the one book that you're blessed, the enemy's like, oh, no one can understand it. No, it's too hard to understand. Oh, no, it's all so, oh, no, don't even read it. Yeah, it's just horrible. You know, and, and so many Christians and pastors, that's what they do. They won't delve into revelation. They won't get into prophecy. Wow, the enemy's done a good job. The only instruction on how to do church is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through chapter 14. There's no other instruction on how to do church in the Bible. This is the proper way. How many churches, including ours, actually do what's written in 1 Corinthians 11 through 1 Corinthians 14? I, I can't, I've never seen one. I have never seen one. Read it when you get home. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 1 Corinthians 14. We're trying to get there, but wow! Man, no wonder we're all in a stupor. <laughs> all right. Um, guess what the next uh, verse, Dan, a few verses down, Revelation 1-7. Behold, Jesus, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. At the second coming, does anyone mourn over him? No. They're, they're gathered at Megiddo to fight him. They're not like, oh, there he is, oh, we mourn. This mourning is more of a repentance, and those who pierced him, when will they look upon him who they pierced to mourn? At the rapture, remember, he appears, the appearing at the sixth seal, and all Israel then sees him, repents, mourns, and they're then taken to the wilderness and protected for three and a half years, the last three and a half years. All right, so, wow, oh yeah, we're doing good. So if not knowing the day of, of the hour of the rapture is told to the church, why in Revelation is it only the apostate church that doesn't know? For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Second coming or rapture? Has to be the rapture. Why is that? At the second coming, is anyone going to be celebrating and marrying and giving a marriage during the wrath of God? 
Have you read the wrath of God, the last half of the seventh week of Daniel? Was, this earth is going to be racked. I mean, every mountain will be removed. Most people will die. I mean, it is the most horrific thing. No one's eating. And the only thing they do is at the end, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet gather the armies of the world to Megiddo to fight Jesus Christ. No one's eating. But before the rapture, they most definitely will be doing that. Does that make sense? Eating, drinking, marrying, uh, giving in marriage. During the wrath, there's no way they can do that. Um, all right, so that ha even Matthew 24 is talking about the rapture. We'll talk about those signs next week. So no one knows the day or the hour. This is a saying used by Jews all over the world. And it's a reference to one of the Jewish feasts. And guess which feast it's a reference to. The Feast of Trumpets. <laughs> I was going to put the prayer shell on too, but remember, Paul said, men, hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, don't cover your head when you pray or prophesy, and women, cover your head when you pray or prophesy. Isn't it interesting, during Paul's day, uh, priestesses of the pagan temples never covered their head. In fact, when you look at pottery from Paul's day, uh, the women have these exotic, like gold uh, things. Not, not a covering, but their hair really done up and, and gold and, and all this stuff. Men, though, covered their head. So it wasn't a cultural thing when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11. Hey, hey, men, when you in church pray or prophesy, do not cover your head. Okay, that's why old times in the 50s and 60s, every church you went into, what would men do as they walked in? Take their hat off. And every, all men wore hats back then. Women, what would they do when they went to church? They made sure they had a scarf or a beautiful hat, their Sunday hat. Remember, my mom had one, big box, and, you know, beautiful. And, you know, they always wore their covering. It wasn't until the 60s that all of a sudden the, uh, God was taken out of uh, school, the Ten Commandments, prayer, everything, and our nation and all the Judeo-Christian values that we hold dear have been eroded since then. So now, um, what was I, why was I talking? Oh yeah, so the prayer shawl. So, uh, you know, they put, the Jews put it over their head and Paul says, no, men, do not cover your head when you pray or prophesy. Women do cover your head in church. When you're by yourself, you don't have to. But if you're in church up in front, then you need to cover your head for a symbol of authority on account of who? The angels. It transcends, yeah, uh, thing. So, all of that. So, uh, <laughs> the day of the Lord, the Feast of Trumpets, is called the day that no one knows the day or the hour. Why is that? I'm going to tell you about that. So, Rosh Hashanah starts tonight, uh, and it goes till uh, August 1st. It's, it's literally one day, the Feast of Trumpets, but it starts the 10 days of awe. And the 10 days of awe points from Rosh Hashanah to the 10th day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, if you know any Jewish people, this is a great time to ask them for favors because they're trying to earn forgiveness for the Day of Atonement. No, they are. They're like, and here's what they really believe. If my good, if my good works outweigh my bad works from the past year, 
on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I will be forgiven. If my bad works outweigh my good works on Yom Kippur, I'm going to have a bad year the next year because I'll be judged for being bad rather than good. So, I'm trying to think of any Jewish people I know. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, October 13th. That's when they went, they go, and it used to be family camp. I, I, that's where we should all go out and tents and remember what? The Exodus. That's what Sukkot is all about. Now, it's interesting, uh, after Sukkot is Hanukkah, this year, December 22nd, is the Feast of Rededication or the Feast of Lights. And all of these point to prophetic events. In fact, the first three feasts, the spring feast, was Christ's first coming. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. They were all completed. Hanukkah is the whole thing that it all sets on. Pentecost is the transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So that's the church age where we're at now. The next thing to happen is the rapture of the church, the Feast of Trumpets, then the Day of Atonement, which is the wrath of God, Christ establishing His kingdom at Armageddon, the second coming, and the Millennial Reign is the Feast of Tabernacles. Interesting, in the Millennial Reign, in Zechariah it says, everyone who survived and made it into the Millennial Reign, where we will reign with Christ for a thousand years, every year they will have to come celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and if they don't, they will have... Uh, no rain for the next year. Interesting. So the tabernacles, again, it will be tabernacling with God himself as Christ sets his throne in Jerusalem. Wow. So that's pretty cool. So the fall feast, uh, tonight Jews all over the world and Messianic Christians will start celebrating the fall feast with Rosh Hashanah. It's called the hidden feast or the feast of trumpets. They're only, uh, this is the oh, these are the only feasts that have been fulfilled prophetically, the, the, the new ones, not the old ones. So the fall feasts have not been fulfilled. Uh, by the way, we used to do a uh, Messianic congregation on, on the Shabbat on Saturday mornings called Roe Zion. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, where uh, we, we did that. So that's kind of fun. The Shepherd of Zion. All right. So, uh, the fall feasts are a perpetual covenant. Paul emphasized in Romans chapter 1, verse, or 15, verse 4, for whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And the mystery of the New Testament is, uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Have you heard that? Okay, that's why we need to study the Old Testament. Their prophetic role, it, it's kind of interesting in Colossians 2, 16. It says, let no one therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to holy day or the feast or of new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Could we say prophecy is a shadow of things to come? Absolutely. So all the prophecies we read is a shadow of what literally will be fulfilled. And so what he's saying is all the feasts are a shadow representing a true object or event that is to come later or be revealed fully later. And so even the fall feast. So what we have, and we went over this, but Passover is the lamb slain, Christ's death. Uh, unleavened bread is leaven gone, sin's gone. That's Christ's burial where he had paid for sin and got rid of the leaven, got rid of sin. Praise the Lord on the cross. By his blood we are cleansed and set free. Amen. First fruits is Christ coming back to life. 
because he was the first fruits, remember. Uh, Pentecost is the transition, uh, the church. Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah is the day of the Lord, and it's no one knows the day or the hour, rapture and the start of the wrath of God or the day of the Lord. Yom Kippur is the day of the Atonement, great tribulation, second coming. Tabernacles, a millennial reign. Hanukkah is the new Jerusalem, the dedication of the new temple, which is the new Jerusalem. It'll be the final dedication. Just like in the first Hanukkah, they dedicated the recaptured temple. Well, this will be the final dedication. There will be no more temple than the new Jerusalem where God and Christ dwell. Okay, so that's pretty cool. All the feasts point to all of that. Um, all right. And it's neat as you look at it this way too. Uh, Passover, unleavened bread and first fruits, son of man ministry where Christ was the prophet and it's represented by myrrh. First fruit is resurrected. Pentecost is the birth of the church. That's son of God ministry and now he's priest. So he came as prophet, suffering serpent. Now he is the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So he is our priest. And at the Feast of Trumpets, he will be coronated king of kings. And that's where he becomes king, the Lion of Judah, um, and all of that. So the three roles of Christ and the feast and how they line up, which is pretty amazing. Any questions on that? Did you get it? Okay. Someone was taking a picture of it, so I was just making sure they got a picture of it. So, Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. Yeah, there's the dude wearing the uh, prayer shawl that I have over there. If anyone wants to try it on, that's um, uh, pretty cool. Sometimes, though, in, when in my prayer closet, I'll put it over my shoulders. Uh, in my prayer closet, I could probably put it over my head. But I'm very fearful. It says when you pray or prophesy, don't do it. So, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> just in case. Uh, so it's observed two days. It's the hidden feast. No one knows the day or the hour. Why is that? How? Yeah, it's based on the moon. It's a religious event uh, involving both festivities and repentance and serious contemplation. Uh, and they say that Messiah will come during the Feast of Trumpets. That's what they believe. It will be the heralding of the, then there'll be 10 days of awe. They blow the shofar, um, most likely when Christ was born, and the rapture will happen and Messiah will come. So the shofar sound, every Israelite, when they hear it, leaves whatever they're doing. So they have two witnesses waiting to see the crescent moon. It's the only feast that starts with a new moon. So there's no moon. And all of a sudden, you see that faint crescent. You, ever, you see it. I love it. Then they blow the trump. Everyone stops what they're doing, and they went to the temple. And that started the 10 days of awe. And that became a Shabbat, an actual Sabbath that day, whenever it occurred. But they didn't know. Remember Matthew 24, 40 says, Then two will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Speaking of the rapture, but... Even then, the shofar sound, they all went and gathered at the temple. All right. Uh, memorial of the blowing of the trumpets. It's Leviticus 23:24, And we don't have time to read it. Uh, and we know at the rapture, Matthew 24:31, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, 
from one end of the heaven to the other, one end of the sky to the other. You ever wonder about that? How come from one end of the earth to the other? Aha, because they're already up. It's the rapture, not the second coming, and he gathers them. But pre-trib guys say this is the second coming, not the rapture, but it can't be, and we'll talk about that a little more next week. So uh, the feast begins at sunset tonight. Orthodox Jews are looking for the coming of the first Messiah. What will that be to them? The Antichrist, the false Messiah, they will embrace him as Messiah. More than likely, potentially, he might come during Rosh Hashanah. Wow, what if he came tomorrow? Because the feast is sunset to sunset. Yeah. One prophetic term used throughout the Bible is the day of the Lord. That feast points to that. And how it's the feast that's called the hidden feast that no one knows the day or the hour is because it's a black moon. But tonight, you're going to see this little crescent appear. Okay. Uh, when they see the crescent, they start blowing the trumpets and the feast of trumpets start. It's the feast no one knows the day or the hour. And that's why it's the feast representing the rapture because the phraseology that Jews used describing this feast, Christ used to describe um, um, the rapture. Yeah, thank you. So trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, all the other feasts start with a full moon. This is a new moon. So idioms of the feast, time of Jacob's trouble, uh, day of awakening, the Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, the opening of the books, opening of the gates, the Yah HaKedeshi, the hidden day, that no one knows the day or the hour, uh, the Hamlech, the coronation of the Messiah. So the feast, I'm just skipping some, already went over that. All right, what time? We got a couple of minutes. So, scriptures never present the rapture as signless or imminent. Um, and we're going to go over next week all the signs. That's why in Luke 21, he said, But when you see all these things, then lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Speaking to the, to, uh, the church. And we know that's going to happen. All right. So. There's all the seals. Next week we're going to get into this. So Paul, writing to the church, just to make sure that the day of the Lord is a rapture, said in 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will also confirm you to the end, note this, blameless in the day of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, meaning that day of the Lord is the rapture. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, and we'll talk about it next week too as we get into the signs, but it says this, concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him, be not quickly shaken or disturbed either by letter or message as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the falling away, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction who goes in to the temple and proclaim, displays himself as God. That's when he's revealed as Antichrist. So two things. Those, that one verse has two things that precede the day of the Lord or the rapture of the church or the feast that is known as the Feast of Trumpets that starts tonight. So I would encourage you tonight, 
If you have a trumpet at sunset, light a candle, pray with your family, talk about the three coming to the Lord, and uh, go out and wake up your neighbors with the trumpet blast. You know, uh, if you have any Jews in your neighborhood, maybe you'll hear it. I know I will walk around our neighborhood and play that. And some people will ask, and then I get to witness to them. You know, so why are you playing that? That's yeah, kind of fun. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me. Strengthens and restores my soul. Satisfies my needs.